It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you are tuning in today. We are just thrilled to continue in our roundtable discussion format here today with a very special guest. But before I introduce him, let me just first introduce once again our co-host, Mike Malinger, 28-year veteran, firefighter, and Army vet. Mike, so good to have you on the program as always. It's good to be back, John. Well, we uh, we have been just thrilled. In fact, we've been talking about this for weeks, about our guest who's on the program with us today. Let me introduce you to eight term Congressman Louie Gohmert, who represents the 1st District of Texas, which encompasses more than 12 counties. Congressman Gohmert has been a bold defender of America's founding principles, and he continues to be a voice on Capitol Hill for individuals of faith and really for citizens far and wide. And Congressman Gohmert serves on the House Judiciary Committee, serves on the Constitution, Civil Rights and Civil Liberties Subcommittee, as well as the Crime, Terrorism and Homeland Security Subcommittee. He's also a member of the House Natural Resources Committee, serving on the National Parks, Forest, Public Lands Subcommittee and holds the title of Republican leader on subcommittee on oversight and investigations. He's a staunch supporter, and I love this, of Israel. In fact, he is a good friend with Prime Minister Netanyahu. We'll talk a little bit, hopefully, in our time together about that. But prior to serving in Congress, Louis was elected to three terms as a district judge in Smith County, Texas. He was later appointed by Texas Governor Rick Perry to complete a term as the Chief Justice of the 12th Court of Appeals. And and Louie, I know that you are a proud father of three daughters with your wife Kathy, and that you have faithfully served at Green Acres Baptist Church there in Tyler, Texas, where you served as a deacon as well as a Sunday school teacher. My friend, welcome to Engage in Truth. John, always great to be with you in person, on the phone, or however we can get together. Thank you. <laughs> amen, amen. I I love your passion, not only for Jesus Christ and standing firm as a man of, of deep conviction, integrity, and faith, but, but also when we were in Washington, D.C., you would often take groups through the Capitol building, after hours even, and share with them hours of America's deep roots, the history, not only of that building, but America's foundation. Well, you're talking about like last night for three hours yeah, with uh, <laughs> a group of about 90 uh, Christian uh, high school students. Yeah, yeah, you, you just amaze me. Your energy level, I think, just astounds me, the fact that you can mm-hmm. do that for three, four hours. And, and we just eat it up. You're like a fire hose of information. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wondered if you could just in brief share a little bit uh, just why you're so passionate for this. You seem to be sort of the last of your kind in Washington, D.C., especially of our congressmen and women. What what drives you, motivates you for that, to teach like you do, to lead these groups for three, four hours after you've already served all day long for, for our nation? <laughs> well, it's a concern for uh, our history. You know, the uh, in the Old Testament, the the children of Israel were told they needed to teach these things to their children, and and it goes to great extent telling you where to talk about it, where to put it, even have it 
on your you know door frame and uh, that is something that's been lost here. We have uh, not been teaching our children as we should about our heritage. Uh, it's been rewritten by people that would seek to eliminate God from the discussion, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that includes God, Creator, Divine Providence, uh, all of those uh, manners in which the original founders uh, referred to uh, God's intervention on their behalf. You go... And look at the history of uh, the revolution, even, and you find miraculous things happening that, without which, there would have been no success in the revolution. And uh, George Washington saw it constantly, and in his letters and writing, uh, revealed you know that it was God's providence. Going back even to 1755 in the French and Indian War, in the letter he wrote his mother and brother before he knew Martha, that you know he took off his coat and there were bullet holes through and through. Took off his hat, shook out his hair, and there were bullet fragments flying everywhere, but he didn't have a scratch on him that truly he was protected by uh, God's providence. Mm. Uh, He knew that. Whether it was being able to successfully uh, get all of the thousands of American troops off the west end of Long Island uh, during the night when they were being, it would have ended the revolution because the British had them outmanned, outgunned, but for some reason, the general got it in his head, uh, the British general, that, gee, we'll, we'll just wait and, and uh, route them in the morning. So uh, they didn't even have, I think, like two-thirds by the time morning came around. And there were British ships in the river, and yet a fog rolled in to cover the last third of those thousands being transferred. And then the British moved in, and they couldn't believe it. It was miraculous. All these American troops were gone. <laughs> and if he had moved in the night before, or, or going even to World War II, I remember reading a story about, and I know you know, but uh, you know the the Germans were running out of fuel for their tanks, and and in the Patton movie uh, reflected that at one point where he said, "Wow, they were running out of gasoline." And uh, uh, Winston Churchill once said, you know, we floated to victory on a pool of East Texas oil. Uh, and it was sort of miraculous how that even came about. And i got to tell you, because this is local uh, history for me in East Texas, but, you know, for Churchill to say that that's what saved uh, and allowed the, the Allies to, to win, we didn't run out of gasoline, but right before the war, uh, there was a guy named Dad Joyner that was uh, looking for oil in East Texas, and he just knew there had to be there. He, he had checked out all of the, the information he could find on the geology. It's got to be there. He drilled and drilled. He got people to invest. He got loans, and he missed and never hit oil, and he ran out of money. Nobody would loan him anymore. He couldn't get any more investors, but he had the people that were willing to work for free to drill one more, and he knew if there was oil anywhere in East Texas, it had to be this one certain spot. And back then, they drug these big rigs uh, on wooden skids to wherever they were going to drill. Mm. They're dragging this thing on skids, and one of the skids completely breaks down. They can't even buy wood to fix the skid. So Dad Joyner says, we don't have any choice. We can't get to the optimum spot. we got to drill right here. They drilled there, and now we know if he had gotten to that best spot, he would have been just outside 
the uh, big oil reserve in East Texas that wow. at the time it was found was the largest known oil reserve in the world before Saudi Arabia. So, uh, I mean, things like that. Why did that skid break right before he left the big uh, uh, pool of, of oil that ends up saving the day? I mean, and then there was the opportunity. The Germans had Tiger tanks rolling in toward this uh, Allied supply depot that had just massive amounts of uh, drums of of fuel, and for some reason the German commander, tank commander, got it in his head something wasn't right, and there were like ten uh, Allied soldier Americans in foxholes with little rifles up against these Tiger tanks. They could have rolled those tanks right over, but some reason he got in his head that we're about to be uh, ambushed or something. He ordered them to hold where they were for 24 hours. In the meantime, reinforcements got there, and they were able to protect the depot. Otherwise, they get there, they don't run out of, their tanks don't run out of fuel. I mean, they're just, time after time, you go, wow. If you recognize, you know, God's providence, uh, and I had a Christian friend in Iowa tell me when I was up there a few years ago, you know, um, God's always working, and he said, in fact, uh, uh, when people say, you know, this was, wow, what, what an amazing thing. It, said, it, it means we're not recognizing God's hand at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, wow, that was really lucky. You're not recognizing God's hand at work. Mm-hmm. But uh, you look throughout our history, the times even catastrophes could have been so much worse yeah. Um, and you go, wow, you know, mm-hmm. God, God was protecting us. But, uh, you know, some say, well, he's going to destroy America. The fact is, if he just pulls back his protective hand from America, then there will be no place for millions of people in the world, or, or we're told even, you know, billion and a half would like to come to mm-hmm. 300, join 300 million Americans. There will be no place for people looking for hope to come. And I've been told that in Africa by Africans saying, you know, we were so excited when you elected your first black president. But then while he was president, we've seen America get weaker and weaker. And we suffer when America's weak. Uh, The oldest uh, was telling me, senior Mm -hmm. citizen, said, we need America strong if we're going to have any chance of of peace or safety in this life. So... It is God has put us here for a time. We have made a dramatic difference in the world, and now we have so many people uh, deriding America. No country's ever been perfect. None ever will be. But there's never been, not even in Solomon's Israel, has there been the freedom, the opportunity, the individual assets that we've had in America. And for most of that history, even when some Christians would attack other Christians, it wasn't necessarily for not being uh, or for being a Christian. Uh, so, you know, we're told in Scripture, you know, we're going to suffer for Christ's sake. Jesus said, you know, remember mm-hmm. when they hate you, they, they hated me first. Uh, but most well, of us grew up in America. If we were attacked, it wasn't for being a Christian. Well, that has all changed, and it's perfectly fine. And now I will submit that Christians are about the only group that is politically correct to attack. This is the first time in the history of this nation, and it's not a good thing. Uh, it, and, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I t- 
talked to a general that President George W. Bush sent into Iraq uh, to to figure out what we needed to do after we had knocked out Saddam Hussein's regime, and he met with a direct descendant of Muhammad, a very respected Muslim, and he told them, you know, okay, basically, and this is a summary, you need a government um, based on a constitution that's written by Iraqis, and it needs to um, uh, be governed by Iraqis, and it needs to the Constitution needs to be based on the teachings of Jesus. Mm. And he asked, "Did everybody get that?" Yeah, he said, "Based on the teachings of Jesus," because even a direct descendant of, of Muhammad, a very devout Muslim, understands it's Jesus' teachings. If we have a Constitution based on his teachings. It's really the only way you can have real freedom. And, John, I see our country in great peril of losing that freedom, uh, of, of shutting up and persecuting Christians. And uh, once yeah. that becomes the majority way of doing it, and it may have already gotten there, then we can expect this nation won't last much longer, and certainly the freedoms won't. Well, and and you have been such an advocate for calling people to prayer in in Washington yeah. D.C. and, and taking Absolutely. that stand of that Second Chronicles seven fourteen of saying, "Look, we, yep. we've got as God's people, we have got to humble ourselves before Him." And I know you've been part of the Congressional Prayer Caucus it, yep. and for many years. Are you seeing growth in that area? Are you seeing our congressmen coming together? Congressmen, you know, we and women had alike? growth for a while, and it's not just the prayer caucus that uh, meets on the first night. We're back each week. But we also have the Thursday morning prayer breakfast, uh, Christian prayer mm-hmm. breakfast from 8 to 9. Had it this morning. Had a wonderful testimony from one of our members. Uh, also, um, I participated in a Bible study Wednesday mornings from um, uh, 7 to 8 and uh, a.m. But uh, I, I don't know. There, there's. It's. I, I was amazed when I got to Congress how many really strong Christians there were but we get so busy, uh, it's hard for people to prioritize the time, either for the prayer caucus or Bible study or or the prayer breakfast. So I'm not. I'm seeing a lethargy kind of set in here uh, that is also of concern to me because we're under attack and we need to be sticking together. By the way, we're taking up uh, here in the House of Representatives. It was supposed to be a condemnation of anti-Semitism for comments uh, against Israel and those that support Israel. But now uh, I've just read the the resolution, and uh, it's turned in, okay, yeah, we condemn anti-Semitism, but we condemn anybody that condemns Muslims uh, because that's just as bad. I mean, it's turned into... Away from being a condemnation for anti-Semitic comments by a specific member of Congress to uh, protecting those uh, uh, Islamic members, yeah. uh, any Islamic member that said something anti-Semitic by saying, "But if you attack someone who is a Muslim, then you know you're guilty of hate speech yourself." Yeah. So anyway, going what? How did how did this get twisted around to being a condemnation of anybody that tries to hold uh, people accountable, even if they're Muslim? 
So, uh, and, and by the way, John, the one thing that you will not find in the House resolution is any condemnation for attacks on Christians. So, and I mean verbally or um, physically. So, uh, yep. So it reinforces what I said earlier. I think Christians have become the only group in America that is politically correct to attack. <laughs> well, and of course, you know, Mike and I were talking before the program on, on just what the the pulse of D.C. right now. Those of us who are, you know, just simply receiving headlines on a daily basis. We've uh, had some guests in the studio here just talking about defensive life and some of those issues. That now we're, we're refusing care for babies who are born after a failed abortion. Uh, we're failing to, to pass laws in defensive life and even remove barriers to late-term abortion, since you were such a man of the people. I mean, is this really what the constituents are clamoring for? Or is this really a, a political move of one particular party to just, uh, I don't know, to open up the doors to killing babies? I, I mean, I'm just not well, hearing this on the street. it's been going on for, for so many years, as we've learned. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not only about the abortions, um, that Planned Parenthood makes so much money off, including government money. They're still subsidized with taxpayer money. But, um, but it, in answering your questions, my constituents, uh, the huge majority, do not support uh, the killing of babies at, at you know at any right. point. Yep. But this is uh, where we see um, really more of the demoralization um, of, of America. We're, we're losing the morality we once had that made us such a strong nation that could could stand up for righteousness sake, uh, the way Franklin Roosevelt actually prayed for several minutes on national radio on the morning of D-Day. Uh, it, it, you know, we've lost that sense. Now you'll be condemned if you want to stop, you know, the the powers of hate, unless, of course, you're referring to Christians. And it's amazed me, uh, even the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights has, uh, back in 2016, indicated, in essence, that potentially the biggest uh, hate group threat are those that call themselves evangelical Christians. I mean, it amazes me, John, how anybody could take the Christian, and it's not a religion, it's it's a way of life, but right. take Christianity and say that it is a hateful religion when actually it's the most love-based religion there is. It, 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 you Two basic tenets, you have to believe God so loved the world he gave his son, and his son so loved the world he gave his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, I mean, uh, both out of love. And that's the basis of our religion. And so I know sometimes I've been chided by um, my own children saying, Dad, you don't seem like you were very forgiving of this person. Well, I was acting in my government role. When you're part of the government, like when I was a judge and sent people to, to prison, individually I could forgive them for a heinous act. But as a felony judge... I was part of the government, so as Romans thirteen four says, if you do evil, be afraid, because God doesn't give the sword to the government in vain. And I had the sword. And here in this government, I'm supposed to help hold the government accountable. 
And if you're in government and you're not uh, acting appropriately, I'm supposed to I forgive you in my individual capacity, but as a part of the government, not be forgiving, but uh, punish you for doing evil. Uh, it's part of the job. So some Christians get it confused as to exactly what we're to do individually, you know, follow uh, the Great Commission, follow the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. But when you're acting in a government role, like, for example, you get a jury notice, show up for jury duty, you're on the jury. If somebody has committed a crime and you're on the jury, you're not supposed to turn the other cheek. Your job then is under Romans 13. You're to enforce the law. And, and we know from proverbs and other places that the best you can hope for is a judge or government that will not be biased in favor of the rich and will not be biased in favor of the poor, but will enforce the law fairly across the board. And so that's as Christians, we're supposed to be an answer to that, uh, to to be fair across the board when we act as voters, as members of jury, or if uh, we're elected to some other position yeah. in the government. So well, let me ask you just a couple more questions because we are, sure. you know, we could have you on this program for probably three days. I, I think you could probably, <laughs> you're speaking the language of the people. They, they love to hear that there is somebody on Capitol Hill that speaks the, what they want communicated. And uh, and we're seeing just a number of issues. I, I just coming into the studio, uh, you know, we had a number of questions that came in, and and some of those, of course, as you might imagine, uh, deal with the the debt, the sizable debt. Mm-hmm. And, and as oh, a representative yeah. of the people, I mean, that's they're, immoral. They're, that's how, immoral how, to have debt that big. Yeah, I mean, you know, when as you do the math of that, a twenty-two trillion dollars, are we stemming the tide at all? Are you seeing any move to to sort of say, hey, enough is enough, guys? We can't keep saddling yeah, the next we generation talk about with it in our weekly Republican meeting, but we're in the minority, and there's yeah. no indication that it's going to be restrained at all. And, you know, John, it, I think it also reflects that attitude toward the next generation, whether they're in utero or yet to be even conceived, that we would, for the first time in American uh, history, think so little of the next generations or future generations that we would fail to control our spending and our love of spending mm. so that future generations will have to pay for our lack of uh, morality and, and restraint. Uh, mm. It just shows, again, a disregard, a more focus on self. Uh, the first time in American history now that 70-plus percent believe our children will not live as well as we have, that is is such an indictment on this society where we've come to. Wow. Well, okay. And then just our last couple minutes together, uh, when we are the heated debate right now, the electoral college, you were such a historian in just a a minute or less. Can you explain why we need this electoral college? Absolutely. Uh, If you don't have the electoral college, then it means might makes right. It means the uh, biggest number it focused in one particular part will be only people that elect the president. Uh, the flyover country will be everything from the East Coast to the West Coast. Uh, and if you look at uh, Hillary Clinton, yes, she won the majority of the vote, just barely, but 
she won the entire fringe with a few exceptions in the interior of the U.S., but uh, Trump won. You look at all of the counties in America that he won, and he won a huge portion of America when you look across the board. Well, all of those areas that he won will get no consideration whatsoever. You fly from New York to Houston to L.A., hit a few big towns, Miami, but then you just just totally neglect all of the rest of the uh, the country. The Electoral College ensures that all of the people in America will have their their uh, hopes and aspirations and votes considered in arriving at president. Mm. Well, uh, Congressman, thank you so much for your time today. I, I mean, we uh, have probably... Well, being with you, love talking, <laughs> and I look forward to doing it again as soon as we can. Absolutely, because I know we've got a, a couple pages here of questions that have already come in, and I want to ask <laughs> oh, of you, yeah. thank you for just taking the time to be with us here. I know you you've bet, got a John. busy schedule, so thank you again for being on Engage in Truth. If you want to learn more about just uh, Congressman Louis Gohmert, his passion, his ministry, if you will, his service to to America, far and wide, not, not just to those who who did the right thing and elected him uh, to, to serve our country there in Texas, but as he represents Christians far and wide, as he re- represents Americans far and wide, you want to connect with him, please visit us at calvaryfountain.com, and there you'll find information to connect with Congressman Louis Gohmert and, and, and to read more about him and how you can come alongside and support him as a voice of reason in Washington, D.C. So we are just so grateful that uh, Congressman Gohmert could be with us on the program, and if you want to learn more about this ministry of Engage in Truth at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, again, go to calvaryfountain.com, and there you can download this broadcast and many others and get involved in the ministry. We have a number of resources that can serve you from uh, sermon notes and small group studies, ministries far and wide, all around the world, 35 countries. Again, if you're looking for a place to fellowship, check us out at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. Services are at 10 a.m., and we would love to see you there. God bless you.